0: Hey everyone, welcome to Infuse Church Online. Today we're in part three of our series, Be Rich, where we're gonna be talking about this piece of paper or specifically cotton right here and how it is so valuable and specifically why it is so valuable. And it's probably different than you've ever considered before. And that difference can make a tremendous difference in our lives. Everyone pretty excited for Thanksgiving, though? I mean, spend time with family. Anyone have a relative that's kind of uh, that relative? Everybody got some? Okay. all right. Everybody on the left side? It's always interesting how you all respond sometimes. Either you're not paying attention on this side and one side or the other, or, or it's always just one side, so you all kind of sit together. You must know or something, have a, have a club or something. All right, so first question as we begin today's message. Can anyone, I know this is a little challenging, can anyone tell me what this is? Monopoly money, yeah, and how much money am I holding in my hands? Nothing? A million sorry, okay, it's a million dollars, okay? One million dollars I am holding in my hands right here, okay? Now, what can this one million dollars buy me? Anybody? Absolutely nothing. Okay. What can it buy me in Monopoly? I don't even know if I can buy you. Yeah, yeah, I can buy you property, right? Yep, and you can buy houses and maybe even upgrade to a hotel if you have enough of these. Am I right? And if you're really into trains, this is really fun. You can buy a whole railroad right here. Isn't that incredible? No no Monopoly fans, evidently not. Okay, Um, anyone play Monopoly where there pretty much are no negotiating rules? Like it's just a free-for-all. Anybody play Monopoly like that? okay, couple of you, right, where everything is up for grabs, okay, and does this thing not become the most valuable thing that you have ever set your eyes upon, right, I mean, you will buy get out of jail free cards, you will buy favors from someone, I mean, for some of you, you have even damaged your relationships or your marriage to get more of these in a game of Monopoly, is that fair to say? Okay, just one person up here, okay, that's incredible, all right, now, question for you, all right, how much will this $1 million of Monopoly money buy me at Casey's? Okay, absolutely nothing. Yeah, it won't. It won't buy a thing. In fact, it'll probably just buy you a laugh, right, at best, or maybe just a smile, like, what are you doing, right? Now, to buy something at Casey's, I would need um, one of these, right? Probably not as big, okay, but at least you could get a couple pizzas, and maybe a take a gas, depending on what you drive out of this, right? Okay, this is $100. Anybody want this? Okay, that was pretty quick. I thought so. Okay, now, why is it that this will buy me something at Casey's and this will not when they are both currencies, right? They're both paper, right? They both have ink on them, but this will buy me a pizza and this will not. Okay, now, next question, okay? And I'm going to pick on Brandon because he just is going to hate me for this. So much, Brandon. Will you step up here for just a second? Yeah, ah, he's gonna make me. Hang. Okay. Uh, thanks, Brandon. I appreciate it. I gave him somewhat a heads up. Not really. Not really. Okay. <laughs> so, Brandon, I have a question for you. Are the answers up here? No, no. We'll, we'll see how you do. Okay. You're in law enforcement. You should know what this is made of. Okay. What are these made of? Cotton, yeah, they're both made of cotton, right? This is about 70% cotton, and this is 70% cotton and 30% polyester, okay? So about the same composition, and both of them have ink on them, right? Yes. Okay, now, why is this more valuable than this? Because if I could just give you one of these completely free, okay, you can take it. You don't even, no strings attached, you don't even have to put this in the offering bucket if you take it, okay, afterwards, okay? Now, and you can buy 10 of these with this, okay? Which one would you choose? $100. 100 bucks. Thank you, Brandon, for, for sticking with me there. Um, I thought you'd just be difficult just to get me back for pu- pulling you up here. Right. Thank, thank you, Brian. Okay. Now, what's interesting to me is that you would... Thanks. That's all I need. Um, I yes. Thank you, Brian. <coughs> Brandon, sorry. <laughs> Brian, I was just... Okay. Um, okay. So, um, why is this... So much more valuable than this, even though this is maybe, what, 50 times, 100 times more material, more cotton, more ink than this. I mean, think about it. What what was it? Okay, it's universal. Right, universal in what? Uh, Buying power? Yeah, Yeah. that you can take this into Casey's and buy something, but with this you can't. Even though, I mean, think about this, I'm going to go to the Casey's counter and I am going to give them more cotton, more ink than they have in this, yet they will accept this over this. Isn't that an interesting dynamic? Why is that? Why is it that most of us know that this is more valuable than this, even though there's more of this than there is of this? Isn't that an interesting phenomenon that maybe, perhaps some of us, at least I know, I haven't thought about before, or at least seriously considered? Now, I was reading an interesting book uh, a few months ago, and the book's called um, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. And um, it's written by a guy, um, Yuval Noah Harari, all right? And he's uh, in uh, Israel, and he's an anthropologist, so he's giving an anthropological look at human history, And he talks, in fact, a lot about money because it is such a fascinating thing. And he gave us, in his book, he gave us the reason why this is more valuable than this, even though there is more stuff, more cotton, more ink in this. And that answer is imagination. That the reason, in fact, the same thing The same thing that you used as a kid to play cops and robbers or whatever game you played growing up or games you played growing up, that thing, imagination, is the same thing that transforms this little bit of cotton, a little bit of linen, and some ink into something extraordinarily valuable. Think about it. What transformed, especially for the boys, what transformed that stick at four years old into a sword? What transformed that blanket over chairs into a castle, into a fort? I mean, imagine the transformation that has to take place for this little bit of cotton to turn into something that is so valuable to you that you would work eight-plus hours to just get a handful of them every single week for like half of your life, unless you win the lottery, right? And in a game of Monopoly... This little piece of paper and ink that you told me could buy me nothing starts arguments. <laughs> starts fights. In fact, just the other day, um, Steph's family was getting ready to play Monopoly. I don't play Monopoly um, because of the fights that break out. But, um, and, and, and we have credit card Monopoly, okay, which you think is cool, but they actually didn't end up playing because they thought it was dumb and they wanted to have the paper copy to play. Why? Because in our imaginations, this transforms for at least a couple of hours into something of extreme value. And in our lives, this little bit of cotton with our imagination has transformed into something of extraordinary value. Now, money only works because it's not just a me imagination thing. It's an all of us imagination thing. In fact, um, the author... Said this in in the book Sapiens. He said, Money exists solely in people's shared imagination. That's why Casey's will accept this, because they too have imagined that this piece of cotton is more valuable than simply just a piece of cotton. I mean, imagine trying to explain to someone who doesn't imagine that this is valuable, doesn't use their imagination, they just see this for what it is a little bit of cotton. Imagine trying to convince someone that this is valuable. I mean, how would that conversation go? No, you got to understand, like, this is so valuable, we build metal boxes with big doors and locks on them, and we find people who will stand guard, armed guard, over cotton. I mean, it sounds really smart when you say it out loud, right? But that's literally what happens. Why? Why? Because in our collective imagination, we've all agreed that this is of extraordinary value. Do you know where 90% of all money in the world resides? Online. Only 10% of the world's currency actually is in a physical form. How is that possible? Because it only exists in here. When I open my bank app and I look at my balance, what am I really looking at? Numbers. No different than the Excel spreadsheet that you have been working on this week at work. It's just numbers. And those numbers go up and they go down and they go up and they go down, but it's just numbers. But I transform those numbers in my imagination into something that affects my daily life. My prioritize. We organize, prioritize, and systematize our lives around something that exists in our collective imagination. That's why all of us, at some point in our lives, have sat back, and deep down, subconsciously, in our hearts, we've all sat there and said, and felt like, that there are things in life that are more important than money. Because there are because money truly only exists in here and outside of in here and for some of us in here there's no value now i know what you're thinking some of you who are a couple steps ahead of me are saying yeah but taylor okay it may be imaginary but humanity societies countries money is purchasing power it may be an imagination thing but people respect value this It can change lives, can't it? It can impact how you spend the afternoon today, whether you have enough of this or not. It can get you from point A to point B or not. It impacts people's lives, and you're right. Though it only exists in our imagination, it is what we call a tool, right? A rake is a tool, and what does a rake do? It rakes leaves. What does a toothbrush do? It removes bacteria from your teeth. It's just a tool. And money is a tool, It is arguably the most versatile, most powerful tool humanity has ever devised. That's why it impacts people's lives, yours and mine. It determines everything from your week's schedule to whether or not you go hungry or go with a filled belly. How much is on the table at Thanksgiving or how little there is at Thanksgiving. Money. And I think when Paul addresses, because we've been looking at Paul's writings about rich people, I'm going to get to that in a second, Paul recognized money for what it was. Jesus recognized money for what it was. A man-made system existing only in our imagination, but because it exists in our collective imagination, it it commands tremendous power in our lives. And it commands tremendous power over human beings or as we Christians would say, God's children. And that's why I think Paul, as he ends his letter to Timothy, which we've been looking at, he addresses how we should use our money how those who are rich, which we have determined are all of us, even if you don't feel rich, that's not uh, a mathematical equation to determining if you are rich. I understand you may feel like you're not rich, but in all reality, if you make over $32,000, you are in the richest 1% of income earners in the world. You're rich. And even if you don't quite even get up to that as a family, you're still in the top 10, 5 or so percent. And Paul says, for the rich people, I want you to use your riches well. Now listen, how you use your money is completely up to you, okay? This is not a give to the church more talk, okay? This is an awareness of what this really is talk. This is a how to be rich and how to value what is most important in your life kind of talk. Because you never have to follow anything that I or Paul or Jesus said. It's completely up to you. It's your choice. But fair warning, Paul makes a pretty compelling point for what we should do. He said in our verse that we've started with um, the last three weeks, they are, and by they he's talking about rich people, which whether we like it or not is, is most of us, they are to be what? Good. To be good. Specifically, good looks like being rich in good works, in good deeds, in helping people, in good acts, acts of kindness, and to be generous, financially generous, giving of that which we have, arguably, mathematically, a lot more of than most, and ready to share if the opportunity comes up. Rich people, that's what it means to be rich. Rich. That's what it means to be rich. But Paul's not done yet. Being rich in good deeds and generosity and sharing has a side effect. And it's kind of a cool side effect. Paul goes on to say um, to, do good, uh, to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, and ready to share, the storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future. A good foundation for the future. I'm just curious, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you were taught growing up by your parents that a good foundation begins with these things up here? Good works, generosity, maybe sharing. I feel like I learned sharing in Sunday school growing up. But I don't know about you, but my teaching was that a good foundation for the future began with a good job, a good paycheck and a maxed out 401k matching. And now, are those necessarily bad things? No, they're not necessarily bad at all. Okay, Paul is not in any of these verses of talking to rich people, he's not shaming rich people. Like, shame on you for making a lot of money, shame on you for taking advantage of your company's 401k or 403b matching plan. Okay? That would be really hypocritical of us to make you feel bad for that because we have Financial Peace University on Monday nights to help you make good financial decisions, okay? He's just saying, as you know, deep down, a good foundation and a future doesn't begin with a bank account. One, because it, just, it only exists in our imagination. And two... It may be able to help you in the future, accomplish things, and make life more convenient, but it is no guarantee of a future, and you know that, especially some of you who have lived long enough to learn, probably the hard way, that there are too many important things in life beyond money, and that money can't buy everything. We say it flippantly, but deep down we know it. Paul is saying a good foundation, a good foundation that will impact you and others for the future begins with being rich, and that will have impacts for generations and generations to come. It starts with caring for and helping those in need, I mean, one of the most, especially in a capitalistic society um, in in our our country, something that I think is widely considered a value is a family-run company, right? Somebody who goes out and is an entrepreneur and starts something and is successful. And arguably, I think most of you would have to think pretty seriously if someone came up to you and said, hey, I would like to, or a parent of yours came up to you and said, hey, I would like to give you my business, I want it to be a family-run business. And what an interesting prospect. Unlike a bank account, it continues to grow. It has at least the potential to grow and to earn income and impact your family for years and years to come, maybe even generations and generations to come. So we would think that we would value that highly, that we should put stock and and merit into that. But in all fairness, in America, 70% of family-owned businesses die. By the second generation even that even something we would value as americans does not provide the future as solid or as foundationally as we may think it does now i know i say this all the time but i think we forget too quickly the first 300 years of the church we skip over it but in the first 300 years of the church it suffered horrid persecution But it thrived. Because of a big bank account? No. There were some few wealthy people, as Paul was addressing, but not that many in the church. Was it because of the Bible that they thrived? No. The Bible didn't even exist for the first 300 years of the church. Some of the letters did, but not in a comprised fashion like we have today. They made it through the first 300 years of the church and thrived. In fact, they transformed an empire because a man said he was the son of God, did amazing miracles, taught us that the most important thing to do is to love God and to love your neighbor, and then he died and he rose again. And they said, you know what? If that guy who teaches us to love God and love our neighbor... Can rise again? I'm following him. And they did. And it changed people's lives. The church became known for its exceptional generosity, its exceptional kind works. And people looked at them and said, I don't get it, but I want to be a part of it. Tell me more. They got rid of what we have come to know as the resistible parts of church, the parts that for some of us we walked away from, probably maybe even for good reason, and they were irresistible because they were rich in loving their neighbor in good deeds, generosity, and sharing. That's not imagination. You can argue with me on whether or not Jesus died and rose again, but historically, the historical community has widely accepted everything I just told you as reality. There was a man named Jesus, and he was killed on a cross. And after that, that moment in time, this thing called the church exploded. It exploded. So, Jesus followers, we need to be rich. And even if you're not a Jesus follower, guess what? You can be rich too. I mean, think about the lives that would change this week, this month, in our community in Iowa if we just decided collectively to be rich, I think it would change things for people. In fact, I would know it would change things for people. And I want you to hear a story of someone's life who was changed because people decided to be rich. And this person, his name's Klaus, was on the receiving end of people who were generous both with their time and their money. In fact, if you have ever given to infuse, you play a small part in the story that you're about to hear. Making it possible. And you will be again today as we get to give away some money. Because in the past and today, this church community has been rich and generous. And so I, hear, I want you to hear a story of a man who lived in a situation an endured situation, persecution in fact, that in fact it was so bad that I couldn't include everything in the video. I had to edit it up just, um, just to be sensitive of ev- everyone that was listening today. But now as of two months ago, he and his family, though they are still processing pain and suffering and grief, can say that they are safe and have hope for the future. And that is possible because we've supported organizations in the past and will continue today, like IC Compassion in Iowa City. It's a small organization that helps with legal um, aid, especially to immigrants, um, which can be exceptionally expensive. So I'm gonna get off the stage here and I want you to hear Klaus's um, story and, um, and then I'll come back up and we'll, we'll wrap up the message.
1: Before coming to the United States, uh, I'm an accountant. Just get the so I was doing accounting in a management and trading company in Brazzaville. So my life was much busy with work and family activities. My uh, family uh, always. Uh, has a a big place in my uh, uh, everyday life. And most of the time we were spending uh, Sunday together, uh, going to church and having some activities uh, around the town. So I came to United States in April 2016. Because I felt uh, in, in, secu- in insecurity in Brazil, in my own country, I was an activist, political activist, and we had a movement, a young, a young movement. Our goal was to install or to promote a real democracy in my uh, home country, and my country is being run by uh, a president since by someone. His name is Sassoon Gesu since nineteen seventy nine. So we drew, we were dreaming about a a new president or a new uh, wave of politicians in my country. Uh, that's why we were involved in many uh, political uh, meetings and activities. All those activities was uh, not accepted by the government. So they decided to uh, arrest us we were arrested together, we were tortured, and we went through many uh, dehumanized, uh, I can say, treatment, and some were killed, and I was lucky to be alive, so. To escape was the only way of, of living. I I left alone because I had I mean we had only one. I got my visa and then I applied uh, for asylum. After applying for asylum uh, until the arrival of my family, lasts about two years. So. I can say I I waited for my family for two years to come here in the United States. The most difficult part for my family and for me was the threats did not stop. Even though I was in the United States, I was receiving threats from the government through my old email, and my family as well was uh, receiving threats. Sometimes I was kind of host, uh, losing hope that we are uh, reunited again because there were many surprises. Every day my wife got beaten one day by the police officers and I lost my uh, daughter that's why I did not mention her because uh, she was kidnapped and she didn't come here because we don't know where she is. So it was kind of suspense, you know, when you are watching some movie and you don't know the end of that movie. My, uh, that time was kind of a movie. So finally in uh, 30, 2nd of September uh, this year, my uh, family uh, came here in the United States. So it was a relief for me to see them after two years. Uh, We were only uh, using the phone sometimes. we We spent three or four months without communication, but seeing them in front of me was so, uh, it was a relief, yeah. And so, I just compassion uh helps me through, to go through immigration process, and without, and so without the fee, because it's so expensive to, through a regular lawyer, and apart from the immigration process, uh, IC Compassion helps me uh, through uh, English conversation, so I was coming here every Wednesday to to improve my uh, speaking skills. Uh, I want to thank ICC Compassion for everything. Yeah, even though thank you, it's not enough because they did a lot. A lot, yeah. I hope for first of all, I hope that things may change in my home country. In
0: So I want to thank um, Klaus for his story. Um, he was hoping to be here, uh, but some things uh, pulled him away because um, that, uh, that is painful. That is powerful. That's something I think, especially in a, in a first world um, country that we live in, if, if you've grown up here, um, it is really hard to fathom um, being separated from your family for years and not being able to communicate with them and um, just hoping uh, that they're all right, and finding out intermittently, months apart, what is happening, and the threats, and the, and the situation. Um, but I don't want you to miss that, that, that completely free, um, IC Compassion was able to help Klaus get um, protection, to get safety here in the United States, and eventually to bring his family here as well. Um, now, unfortunately, um, Klaus uh, suffered many things, including um, the loss of his daughter, um, which he was um, very... Um, uh, Um, maybe sugarcoating it a little bit, um, that there is very little hope that she has um, survived and um, that they are beginning not only a new life in a new culture and a new community, um, but they're beginning uh, a new way of their family's life um, and processing through and grieving through um, those horrible experiences. but I, I think it's incredible that there are people uh, such as yourselves who are willing to invest in, in things like that. I mean, to come into a new country um, is tough enough to understand a new culture, but then to be able to communicate, and um, he has phenomenal Um, English skills, I think, for being here as long as he has and learning simply through free classes provided through the organization, Um, as well as, um, we weren't able to include this, but um, he cannot work while he is seeking a status, which makes it very difficult to do things like pay to get asylum in the first place. And uh, so IC Compassion set him up with a volunteer job with uh, another great organization in town called The Drop-In, a a second uh, resale store. Secondhand resale store, um, and so he volunteered there. That was his job. That was his mission, and Icy Compassion was able to do that because um, there were people who decided to be rich, um, both with their time um, through uh, making classes like ESL and things like that possible, as well as just paying um, the bills, um, and I think it is extremely uh, moving. I hope you get that too, that sense that, that there is something really important in helping people Uh, like Klaus and it is exceptionally important or moving excuse me to be able to say that you played a small um, role in um, such a um, big um, moment for someone Um, and Paul says Paul says that this is so moving in the last part of this whole verse that we've been looking at for the last um, section that we've been looking at for the last um, three weeks he said you know um, this um, being rich sets a good foundation but at the end of the day that foundation really leads to this Okay, and he says it just like this. He says, so that they, all these wonderful rich people, may, be, may take hold, to grasp, to experience life that is really life, that is genuine life. Paul is saying, I want you to be rich, church, so that you can experience life that is really life. Because there is something different in an act of helping someone like Klaus. There is something different about being able to financially support someone like Klaus and his family. That's what Paul is calling real, real life. And I believe personally that real life doesn't require imagination. It doesn't require imagination to work. It requires people with a heart to care for and love other people. It calls for people to be rich. That real life Paul is referring to is not something that is necessarily natural, right? Natural is survival of the fittest. And by that argument, uh, Klaus and his family would not have been the fittest. But there's something in each of us, and I believe as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, that that is the image of God that says every person is deserving of some rights and some liberty and some freedom. And we take that for granted because it is something that is in somewhat of the bedrock of the nation in which we live, but not all nations live that way. And I think that pursuit, that realness, is something our heart longs to be a part of. It stirs something in your spirit. That's the image of God. And it's pulling us to follow the man who stood on this earth as the son of God and said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you shared your space with me. You invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. My friends, let us not, especially if you have decided to follow Jesus, let us not live in the imagination but to live in a life that is, as Paul says, really life. Let us be rich. Let us follow Jesus and love the people, care for the people, whom He called us to love. Let me pray for us, <coughs> Heavenly Father, uh, Lord. I first want to pray for Klaus. I want to pray for his family. That, uh, Lord, that we're a church community that loves him and cares for him. And so my prayer today, Lord, is that we would be a community that not just extends our good thoughts and our well wishes and our prayers to Klaus, but we would be a community that decides to be rich, not just in a series or in a campaign that we're raising money and taking time to be generous and to be kind, but every single day of our lives because we recognize the truth that Paul said. That we are called to be rich. Not just this week, but every day of our life. And when we do, we set a foundation for our (laughs) lives. For the future. Not just our future, but the future of people around us. And we get to experience as a side effect of that. We get to see. We get to be a part of a life that is really life, not imagined. It doesn't require our imagination. That's the incredible part about it. We get to experience life that is really life. Lord, I just pray that that would be set as a foundation for our church community to be rich every single day. In your name I pray. Amen.